have a, a wooden pulpit like that I can grab a hold of. Mike and Amanda are special to us. I was looking for my wife. If you didn't get to meet my wife, she was sitting there. Yes, she's heard me too. She gets to hear me at least once a week. There she is. That is my better half. Um, I've been married to my wife, Tisha, for almost 19 years. And we have five children from ages 7 to 18. So as the brother and I were talking before, that keeps you. That keeps you humble. And uh, makes you learn a lot. Um, my oldest daughter is best friends with that young lady over there. Her name is Jessica, I think. And so uh, we, we've known Mike and Amanda for a while. We lived next door to them for a couple of years and have a lot of respect for them and, and agree with them about a lot of things. You know, not just, I guess not, I guess everything is spiritual. But, you know, like we, we, we both homeschool and, and uh, believe on marriage, believe on husbands, love, loving wives, wives, loving husbands, things like that. And me and Mike like to watch football together. Yeah. If Alabama is not playing Georgia, I will root for Alabama for Mike. <laughs> because of that scripture that says no greater love that a man can have than the root for his friends, Alabama football team. <laughs> but we like to watch football, and then we discuss scripture while we're watching football. And so, um, yeah, it's good. It's a great thing. It's a great thing. So uh, I'm going to talk about uh, biblical law tonight, or the Hebrew word would be Torah. And the word Torah... I have some slides on the screen. I'm going to probably talk for roughly about 30 minutes, and then I'm going to open it up for 30 minutes at least for everybody to ask any questions that you have. I don't claim to know all the answers, and if you ask me a question and I don't know the answer, I'll just tell you I don't know, brother. I don't know, sister. And we can study it. But the word Torah is teaching, instruction, and guidance. Most often it's translated as law in our English Bibles. Okay? That's not an incorrect translation, but it might not be the best way to translate that into English. Teaching instruction, I really like guidance. You know, people here where you obey biblical law. And I tell them, you know, we believe in the guidance of the Lord. We believe in the guidance of Yahweh. That's another thing. If you hear me say Yahweh, I'm talking about God. If you hear me say Yeshua, I'm talking about Jesus. Same. Okay, okay, good. <laughs> Sometimes, some places I go and talk and, and sing, and they, they're not familiar with that, so I don't want that to be a stumbling block. So, um, we're all at different levels, right? Different stages in the same school, but different grades. Most of the time, I feel like I'm getting bucked back to kindergarten when I talk and learn and, and, and grow. So, Torah, biblical Torah, biblical law is, is Yahweh's teachings, instructions, and guidance. Okay? Now, the word Torah comes from another Hebrew word, Yara or Yare, which means to hit the mark. Okay? Torah is, is an archery term, so to speak, in that the Torah is like the arrow that you're shooting. You pull out of your satchel or you pack and you shoot the arrow at the, the Yara, the mark, to hit the mark. Okay? You've heard people say that uh, skin is to miss the mark. You know, I ask people, what's the biblical definition for sin? They say, 
able to miss the mark. I said, well, what does that mean? If you don't understand that, that the Torah is the arrow that you're trying to hit the mark, biblical law, biblical teaching and instruction, then you don't really know what sin means when you say it means to miss the mark. Some people say, well, it means to do wrong. Well, what, what is wrong? The Bible definition of sin is something you've got to learn from the book of 1 John, New Testament Scripture, 1 John chapter 3, verse 4. The Bible definition for sin is the transgression of the law, the transgression of the Torah. And remember, when, when John wrote 1 John, there was no what we call New Testament. Now that seems like that would be a no-brainer, but a lot of people don't realize that. They think that Peter and Paul and John carry around Bibles with them. Nobody had Bibles back then. Okay? That's why they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day where there was a scroll and they would listen to the, to the Hebrew Scriptures be read, to the law and the prophets, the teachings and the prophets. And they would do their best to try to memorize blocks of Scripture so that they could quote them when they were at their house because it was precious to them. Nowadays, we go down to the Lifeway and you find hundreds of Bibles up on the wall and we don't realize what a blessing it is to have them even in our own own language. So people didn't have Bibles as we know them today. People back then, in the first century especially, when when the, these things were, were happening, like the book of Acts or, or the book of First John was being written, they didn't even have individual scrolls in their homes. It's much too expensive to, to own a, a scroll of the Hebrew Scriptures. So when John wrote sin... Missing the mark, sin, doing wrong, is the transgression of the of the law, the teachings or the instructions and the guidance. He was talking about the only law that existed in his mind, John was a Hebrew, okay, which was the law that you read about in the in the Old Testament. Basically, in a nutshell, you have ten commandments, their respective statutes, and then you have their judgments. The best way I can try to explain that is like if we think about a commandment in society, uh, the commandment would be, thou shalt not speed. Okay? Thou shalt not speed. The statutes would be like 25 in the school zone, 45 on this road, 70 on the highway. The statutes differ depending on the situation. Okay? And then the judgment is, the cop catches you speeding, he pulls you over, writes you a ticket. Right? Okay? So you have commandment, statutes, and judgments in the law. Sin is to violate biblical law. The Torah is spoken of highly. I almost sang this passage of Scripture tonight. Maybe we can close out with it later on. This is from Psalm 19. This is a refrigerator verse. Okay, What I mean by that is this is one you want to print out on a piece of paper and put a magnet sticking on your refrigerator. I want you to listen to this. This is from the World English Bible. It says this, Yahweh's law is perfect. Listen to these adjectives as we read. Yahweh's law is perfect, restoring the soul. Yahweh's testimony is sure, making wise the simple. Yahweh's precepts are right, rejoicing the heart. Yahweh's commandment is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Yahweh is clean, enduring forever. Yahweh's ordinances are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the extract of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Perfect, 
pure, right, pure, clean, true, righteous, better than gold, sweeter than honey. You get a warning and a great reward. That doesn't sound like something that we should think has been abolished, done away with, um, as many people would say, nailed to the cross. I don't think we would nail something perfect, clean, pure, holy, better than gold, sweeter than honey, righteous altogether, true, just, that we would just do away with that, nail that to the cross. Um, the problem is not the Torah, you know, and I'll get to this later on in the lesson, but the problem is, is us. The problem is not Yahweh's law. The problem is sons of Adam and daughters of Eve. We're, we're violators of, of Yahweh's commandments. We've all seen, Romans 3 says, we've all seen and fallen short of Yahweh's glory. And that's just not a New Testament concept. That's in the Old Testament too. In Ecclesiastes 7 verse 20, Solomon said, there's not a righteous man on earth who always does good and never sins. Psalm 130, when David was praying to Yahweh, he said, Yahweh, if you kept track or marked sins, who would be able to stand in your presence? That's a rhetorical question, meaning no one would be able to stand in your presence. So the problem is not the law. The law is perfect. The problem is us, sinners, transgressors of the law. My son, uh, I like to take my oldest sons to work with me. I let them swap out, come to work with dad, and make, make him some money and learn how to work. Today we were doing a job, and uh, my oldest son, Benjamin, 16, he said, Dad, we were digging up a septic tank. He said, Dad, he said, what if we found like four pounds of gold when we were digging this right here? And he said, he said I might, we was joking around, he said, he said, I might have to make an offer on this property <laughs> to the owner they were selling the property. And, uh, I said, you know, yeah, you're right. And immediately, and I'm, I'm thankful that Yahweh has, has blessed me to, to kind of filter everything through Holy Scripture. It's not me. It's Christ that lives in me. He's given me a new heart. I'm overwhelmed by it. I'm thankful for it. But immediately I thought, more costly than gold. Here we are talking about four pounds of gold. That would be great. I mean, who wouldn't want to have four pounds of gold, right? You'd like to have four pounds of gold, wouldn't you? I would. Just being honest. I think everybody in here would, would be honest. Well, we have something in Holy Scripture, in the Torah, Yahweh's instructions, His guidance, that's more costly than gold. They're more costly than gold. Sweeter than honey. Anybody you like honey? I eat honey every day. I, I drink one to two cups of hot tea in the morning, okay? So sweeten it with a teaspoon, sometimes a little bit over a teaspoon of honey. I love honey. My father-in-law's been giving me raw honey from his beehives. It's a great thing. I love it. Sometimes I spoon it out and just eat it by itself. Sweeter than honey. Sweeter than honey. More costly than gold. Sounds like something you want to search after, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. The Torah has spoken of how that's one out of a myriad of passages. Another passage I'm going to go to is Psalm 119, longest chapter of the Bible. We've got a picture here of a, of a young child. And what you notice, there's a fence around the pool area. And that fence is put there by this child's parents to protect this child. To keep this child from drowning in the pool. When my children were 
younger, and I still have one that's seven years old, I close the gate on my property. I've got a fence around my property. And I tell David, my youngest son, you can go out and play in the yard, but I don't want you to go outside of the fence. Now, David is seven. I don't expect him to understand the why behind my instructions, behind my Torah as his dad. But it's for his good. I'm not telling him to stay in the property to try to harm him or to try to restrict him in some kind of bad sense. I'm telling him to stay in the yard. Don't go outside of the yard because I don't want you to get hit by a car. I don't want anything bad to happen to you, David. He's seven. He doesn't understand. He doesn't have the mind of of his dad. But I, I put that fence there to help him, not to hinder him. This is our loving Father. His law, His instructions, His Torah, they're all love. They're all love. It's a New Testament passage in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. It says, This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. You know, that's the only way, that is the only way you can show the Father that you love Him is by keeping His commandments. Whether it be not to have other gods before him. Whether it be for a husband to love his wife. Whether it be for a father to instruct his children. Those are all parts of the Torah. They're all parts of Yahweh's instructions. And they're put there for our safety. Uh, Men sometimes try to build additional fences and cover over the beauty and the freedom within Yahweh's Torah. Sometimes us humans, we see that fence that Yahweh has constructed to keep us in our boundary. And we say, you know what, that's a good fence, but I need to build another one, foot taller, three foot in, to keep me from your fence, Yahweh. And another guy comes along and says, you know what, that second fence is good, but I really feel like we need to put some strands of barbed wire on the top. (laughs) And so we build these, these traditions of man and they take away from the beauty of, of Yahweh's law. There are some people, I know a lot of people, have a lot of friends, have some enemies, right? There are some people who think that I'm too strict and legalistic. They do. I've, I've been called a legalist and called too strict on some things. But there are other people that think I'm too loose and I'm too liberal on some things. Really. And all I'm doing is I'm reading... I'm reading the instruction manual. I, I don't. I'm not perfect by any means. No man is. Okay. Well, minus one. I'm not perfect by any means, but I'm reading the instruction manual, and I'm trying to follow the standard that the Creator, my Creator, your Creator, has given me. So if you're looking at at what I do and you're judging me by another standard, then you're going to think sometimes I'm too strict and sometimes I'm too loose. But this is what determines where we be strict and where we be loose, right? So some people think they want to make God more loose than He is. Some people think they want to make God more strict than He is. I think we should just stick with His instructions. All Christians believe some commandments should be kept. When I witness to people about the Torah, I always tell them, say, look, I'm not saying anything different than what you already believe as a Christian. 
all Christians believe some commandment should be kept. I had a conversation with a local preacher. I talked with a lot of pastors because we do a lot of septic tank work for churches. And I could not come out on the Sabbath. And this pastor, when I got out there, asked me, he said, so you, you keep the Sabbath? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir, I, I, I do. I'm not perfect in it, but I, I strive to obey the Fourth Commandment. He said, don't you think that's a little bit legalistic? <laughs> no, you're okay. <laughs> you're okay. We're informal here. You can laugh, smile. Amen. I grew up Pentecostal, okay, so. Um, yeah, we might run, we might run around the doors over there. Mike had to open the doors up. Instead of responding to his charge of legalism, I asked him a question. That's, a lot of times that's what Yeshua would do. When they would ask Yeshua a question, he would answer them with a question. And I asked him, I said, Pastor Jones, whatever, do you keep the seventh commandment? Do you believe in the seventh commandment? Seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. Many spheres of that, but probably the primary one is um, don't take your neighbor's life. Okay. He said, sure, yeah, I believe in the seventh commandment. And I looked at him and I said, don't you think you're being a little bit legalistic? <laughs> I was trying to get him to understand he agreed with me on, on the instructions of the Lord. He believes that there's commandments as a Christian that he needs to keep. And all I'm saying is, if you just back up a few sentences from the seventh and get to the fourth, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I want to strive to, to observe the Sabbath day in my life. You know, I mean, look, let's be glad he didn't say, labor one day and give me six. Right? I heard one preacher say, what if he would have said, you keep 10%, and you give me 90%. Well, I think we'd have a lot of people that didn't want to receive the Christian faith. <laughs> but he didn't. He said, you got six days to labor and do your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath. Like I said, I don't know where you're at. I'm not, I'm not here to... I don't, like, I don't like judgmental spirits. I don't like judgmental attitudes. I'm here to, to help and not to hinder. Um, I'm not here to uh, to scare you into anything. I'm, I'm your brother. I'm your friend. I'm just Matthew. You know, one day I'm going to die and go back to dust that I came from. Okay? But I believe in keeping the commandments, and I believe, if we're talking about the Ten Commandments, I believe all ten of the commandments Amen. are just as valid today as they were when Yahweh wrote them with his finger on the tablets of stone. By the way, this is just a little tidbit, a little nugget, a little Torah nugget. Did you know most people think that the Ten Commandments were written on granite? I think it comes from the Charlton Heston movie, right? Where he comes down off the mountain, he's got these big granite tablets, and he's walking down off the mountain. That's not the case. The, the, the Ten Commandments, actually, and you can do the research yourself, all right? We, we live in a great, great day and age where you can do research. The Ten Commandments were actually small cubes of sapphire. Sapphire stone, blue stone. This is why Numbers 15, 37 through 41, when Yahweh told the Israelites to make tassels on the four corners of their garment, he said, put in the tassel a ribbon of blue to remind you of the commandments. You ever wonder, why blue? How does blue remind you of the commandments? The reason the blue reminds you of the commandments is because the commandments were written on sapphire blue stone. Study that out. Check that out. I think you'll be blessed by that.
You ask the Christians, do you believe in the sixth commandment? Do not murder, they say, absolutely. You believe in the eighth commandment? Do not steal, absolutely. Okay? All Christians believe some commandments need to be kept. This is not a new teaching, this is an ancient teaching. Some commandments that are not explicit in the ten, like homosexuality, Leviticus 18, not explicit in the ten, but you ask the majority of Christians, probably 99% of professing Christians, would agree that homosexuality is is a sin. That doesn't mean that we should be um, ugly. I'm not saying that. I I have a fellow that cuts my hair sometimes that's gay. And I share the gospel. Him, you know, homosexuality is no different than any of the other sins. But don't put that sin up on a pedestal and think, well, as long as we're not a homosexual, we're going to make it to the kingdom. The reason we make it to the kingdom is not by our works anyhow. But I'm getting ahead of myself. But that was not in the Ten Commandments. But most Christians would say, yeah, we believe in that commandment. Drunkenness. Being a drunkard. Not the Ten Commandments. But it's in Proverbs 23. That's probably the best chapter in the Bible on drunkenness. Proverbs 23. Most Christians, you ask them, do you believe it's okay to be a drunkard? They would say, well, no. We need, we need to be sober. Okay, so all Christians believe some commandments need to be kept. All I'm saying is there's other commandments, I think, that have been kind of set on the back burner or laid aside that we need to take a look at, like the Sabbath commandment. This is kind of neat here. I can't read it on my phone. The top says, Well, Rabbi, the bad news is we need to replace your heart with an artificial one. And the bottom says, The good news is we got a guy to write the Shema on it. <laughs> so the reason I pull this slide up is because of the New Covenant. You know, the Bible talks about a New, a new Covenant. Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, Hebrews chapter 8, Hebrews chapter 10. I had a guy working with me one time, professing Christian. I was trying to be gentle with him, and I asked him, I said, you believe you're a New Covenant Christian? He said, yeah, man, I'm, I'm a New Covenant Christian. I said, well, do you know what the Bible definition of the New Covenant is? We talk about the Bible definition of sin, transgression of the Torah. The Bible definition of the New Covenant. If you're a New Covenant Christian, you ought to know the definition. The fellow hung his head, he said, man, Matthew, he said, I, I don't know, I don't know what it is. And I told him, I tried to be gentle, I said, you, man, you just told me that you were a member of, a, of the new covenant and, and now you're telling me you don't even know what it is? I was trying to kind of wake him up a little bit. Hebrews 8, 7-12, condensed, said that the new covenant is Yahweh's law, Torah, written on our hearts and on our minds. His brother and I were talking about this before the service. Not on the sapphire stone itself anymore, but now by the Spirit engraved upon our hearts and our minds. Doesn't sound like that's something that's been done away with. If it's on a new covenant Christian, Christian means follower of the Christ, follower of the Messiah. If it's on a new covenant or a renewed covenant Christian's heart and mind, sounds like something that's still applicable today. Something that we should still pay attention to. Members of the New Covenant, hey, law on the heart, law on mine. I'm so thankful he wrote it on mine because I would be completely lost without it. Ezekiel 36 is another passage. It's my favorite passage in the whole Bible. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. It talks about the New Covenant and the law on the heart. To be like Jesus. We sang a song growing up. Many services. 
To be like Jesus, to be like Jesus. Anybody else sing that song? That's all I ask is to be like Him. From earth to glory, I'll tell the story. That's all I ask is to be like Him. We would sing that song, To Be Like Jesus, and I sang it from when I was in diapers. I mean, I went to Timber Bibles when I was in diapers with my dad. I, that's all I've ever known is the Christian faith, Christian school, and everything, okay? So, I heard that song from a little young fledgling all the way up to my teenage years, and then I started studying the life of Jesus. And then I started trying to be like Him. Now, I'm not like Him, but I try to be like Him. Okay? First Corinthians 11 says, The head of every man is the Messiah. So, none of us are like the Messiah, but we do strive to be like Him. And we should. Be careful when you try to be like Jesus. Because people are going to say, You're trying to earn your salvation. You're trying to work your way into heaven. You're trying to be justified by the law. You're going to get all kinds of jabs at you when all you're doing is trying to do what the song you've been singing your whole life said that you wanted to do. To be like Him. Jesus, Yeshua, He was a, he was a keeper of, of Yahweh's Torah. He, he followed the Father's instructions to a T. The Bible says four or five times He never transgressed, which blows my mind. But he never transgressed. He was tempted. Hebrews 4.15. He was tempted in all points, just as we are, yet without sin. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing. So if we study his life, he was a Torah keeper. First John chapter 2, verse 6 says, If we say we abide in him, we should walk as he walked. First Corinthians 11, 1, the Apostle Paul starts his, that chapter off by saying, Imitate me like I imitate the Messiah. And then in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, he says, Don't think that I came to destroy the law. I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill. What most people do is they try to play on the word fulfill and somehow make it mean destroy, which makes the passage self-contradictory. Don't think I came to destroy the law. Instead, I came to destroy it. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Let me give you another nugget. Matthew five seventeen. You want to read the Bible in context. So many misinterpretations of the Bible come about because people don't read in the context of the, of the passage and also the context of the culture. In Yeshua's day, there were many rabbis. Rabbi basically means teacher of the Torah. There were many rabbis that had students, and that's what his disciples were. They were his personal students that went everywhere that he went. And they learned from him, and they wanted to pattern their life as a disciple, as a student, a pupil, after their teacher. Okay? I learned this from a man by the name of David Bibbon. David Bibbon. Check him out. Google his name. Read his books. You'll thank me later. Great, great uh, scholar in the Hebrew culture. In the first century, it was a common way of speaking to say that when a rabbi correctly interpreted the Torah, it was said that he fulfilled the Torah. He held up the Torah. He supported the Torah. When a rabbi was known to misinterpret the Torah, it was said that he had destroyed the Torah. In the context of the culture of Matthew 5.17, what Yeshua is saying is this. When he says, I didn't come to destroy, he is saying, I did not come to misinterpret or not correctly instruct you in the Torah. I came to interpret it properly. 
And that's why the whole chapter of Matthew 5, he says, you've heard that it was said, Matthew 5, 20, by the who scribes and Pharisees, you've heard it was said this, but I say this. In other words, they've given you their takamot, which means their their instructions, their traditions, their way of, of understanding the law, but they, they, they've been wrong. Let me tell you the truth of the law. One example is this. You've heard that it was said, Thou shalt not murder. Okay, what the Pharisees in Yeshua's day were doing, at least some of them were doing, is, is quoting the sixth commandment, do not murder, and limiting it to physical murder. And Yeshua said, but I say unto you, if you have hatred in your heart towards your neighbor, you've committed murder in your heart. And so the Pharisees were saying, look, as long as we don't physically take somebody's life, we've fulfilled that part of the Torah. And Yeshua says, no, you haven't. No, you haven't. You have hatred in your heart. And that's the same thing. See, there was a spiritual application of the law. It didn't do away with the letter of the law. The letter of the law still stood. Murder was still a sin. Spiritual application. Don't hate your brother. Don't hate your neighbor in your heart. Grace. Let me thank for grace. Right. The last one of the last records that we recorded with August Rain is the band that I sing for. There's one song titled Grace, one song titled Mercy. Grace and mercy. I love them. Grace is when you get something that you don't deserve. Mercy is when you're something that you do, do deserve, like punishment is withheld from you. So if you deserve to be punished because of your sin, and, and that punishment is withheld from you, that's mercy. And then you get what you don't deserve is salvation, that's grace. Grace proves the law has to be in effect, and this is how. If we need grace and mercy, which we all agree that we do, there must be law that we have broken and do break in our life. There would be no reason for us to need grace if there wasn't law. There would be no reason for us to need mercy if there wasn't law. Think about it if you're, if you're a parent. You know, I've raised five little ones. Sometimes they get in trouble. And I, I believe in the Torah. So I read the book of Proverbs. And so I, I have used the rod of correction on my children. All right? But Hebrews 12 says, no discipline at the present time is enjoyable. But afterwards, it yields the fruit of righteousness. So I used the rod of correction on my children, but sometimes they would deserve to be spanked. And I would sit down and talk to them, and I would say, Dad's going to give you mercy this time. You need to get a whooping, as we say here in Georgia. But Dad's not going to whoop you. Dad's going to give you mercy. Why did I do that? I wanted to teach my children the concept of, of mercy. Uh, Yahweh has been very merciful to me. He has withheld a lot of punishment that I deserve from me. And he's given me something I don't deserve. That's grace. And that's just not a New, New Testament concept. That's an Old Testament concept. Genesis 6 says Noah found grace in the sight of Yahweh. That's why Noah was saved. He was saved by grace. Now he's a man of works. Righteous man. Wasn't a sinless man. He was a righteous man. But Noah was saved by grace. Everybody that's ever been saved has been saved by grace. Okay? Because we've all sinned and fallen short of Yahweh's glory. Uh, grace also does not negate obedience. If I go out and I rack up a thousand dollars in traffic violation, traffic tickets, and I don't have a thousand dollars, 
I talk to Mike. And Mike says, man, I love you so much because you root for Alabama when, when, when you come and watch football. <laughs> Mike says, you know what, Matt? You're in trouble. I love you, brother. I want to help you out. I've got $1,000. I'm going to give it to you. Mike hands me $1,000. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me. And I take it down to the, the county courthouse and I pay my fine. And I am released from the punishment of my violation of the law, right? How will it make Mike feel? If I turn around and I go right back out and I rack up another thousand dollars worth of traffic violation tickets and I go back to it. I go, I go back and I go back to it. See, grace doesn't negate obedience. Just because somebody pays the fine for you doesn't mean that you continue in sin. Romans 6 1. Should we therefore continue in sin that grace abound? May it never be. So grace doesn't negate obedience. I think I may have one more slide. Three uses of law, real quick. This is listed as the number two use, but I like it as the number one use. The very first use of the law is as a mirror. Remember these three words, mirror, curb, and guide. Mirror, curb, and guide. The law is first and primary a mirror. What I mean by that is it shows us that we're transgressors. It's just like getting home from work and looking in the mirror and you got a dirty face. The mirror can't take the dirt off of your face, but it shows you that you need to do something to wash. That's the law. It's a mirror. Um, Romans 7, Paul says, I wouldn't know sin except by the Torah. Second one is a curve. First Timothy chapter 1 says the law is for the disobedient. Some sins are crimes. The second use of law is that we need biblical law in society to curb evil. It's against the law to to be a pickpocket. It's against the law to to murder somebody. We have to have these laws in society, penal sanctions, civil laws, in order to function in our society. And may I say that if we were to get rid of the trillions and trillions of letters and words of law that we have on the books in America and replace it with ten basic commandments and their respective statutes and judgments, it will be a wonderful, beautiful thing. It will be a piece of the kingdom on, on earth as it is in heaven. You know, Yahweh's ways are so much better. You steal a guy's work truck and if you're caught, according to Yahweh's law, you have to pay anywhere from two to five times back to the fellow you stole the work truck from. Not to the government, right? But to the guy you stole the work truck from. Now, if if that was on the books in America and it was enforced, commandments, statutes, and judgments, do you think a thief would think twice before he stole something? Steal a work truck and have to pay back five work trucks? Or work for the guy until he paid back? Uh, the law second use we have to have it as a curb to curb evil in the hearts of the sons of men and then the third use is the law of the God Psalm 119 says your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path I'm so thankful y'all take the light of his law and shine it in our eyes and blind us although sometimes I think he has to but he, he shines it in our path so that we can see where to go where to walk the law's third use is as a guide. This is only for the regenerate man. This is only for the man with a new heart. The man with an old heart of stone can't see the law as a guide. It's just, it's just doing that. 
to it, to it. But when you're born again, born from above, however you say that, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, then you read the law, and it still is a mirror, it still shows you your sin, but you read the law and you say, you know what, this is how I, I should live my life. This is instructions that you gave me for my good. Remember the fence we talked about? It's for my good. So it's a guide. It's shining in my path, teaching me how to go. I don't know if I'll have 30 minutes or over 30 minutes, but I'm going to stop it right there. Um, I brought some literature. If you want to take it home, it's all free. You can take, take as much as you want. Um, but I do want to open it up. If anybody has any questions, uh, I'll be glad to, to try my best to answer. If you're sitting there pondering, you're thinking, well, what about this? What does he think about this? What does he think about this? Lay it on me. I love questions. I don't have all the answers, but I love questions. Anybody got one? Go ahead. Is it is it Darrell? Darrell, go ahead, Darrell. Real? That's a that's a that's a good question. And the first thing I'll say is your guess is as good as mine. I wondered the same thing. You know, when I started reading my Bible and I found the biblical definition of the New Covenant, Hebrews 8, Yahweh's Torah, His instructions on my heart and my mind, I thought, why in the world would we want to say anything bad about the, about the law of Yahweh? Even the parts of Yahweh's law, you, when you read the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, books of Moses, you're going to see there's some things in there that, that we not only don't do today, but we can't do today. Okay? We're not going to, we don't do every little jot, every little tittle because of the circumstance that we're in. Okay? But far be it that we should say bad about any of it. That's the mind of, of Yahweh. And so I think what's happened is um, some facets, some spheres of Christianity have picked a verse in the New Testament out here, a verse out here, a verse over here. By themselves, they haven't read before and after. They haven't considered the context and the culture of the passage, and they said, "Well, look, we don't need to do this law, or we don't need to obey the law anymore." I was talking with some Jehovah's Witnesses at my house one time, and they told me they said, um, "We only have two commandments now: love the Lord and love your neighbor." And I said, "Brother, let me try to help you with this here, okay?" Because that's a summary. It's not when, when Jesus said there's two commandments, love the Lord and love your neighbor, let's use the Ten Commandments. If you love the Lord, you keep the first four commandments. You know? You, you won't have any God, other gods before him. You won't make any idols. You won't take his name in vain. And you keep the Sabbath. Those are all vertical. Okay? If you love your neighbor, you keep the last six commandments. Those are horizontal. You won't steal. You honor your parents. So... People have it in their mind through tradition, through tradition that Yahweh's law is a bad thing. Um, it's not something we're supposed to love. Um, it's not something we're supposed to cherish. But uh, I have to believe that it's just from lack of uh, diligent Bible study and cherry-picking certain verses out of the Bible. Um, you know, a good, if you ever talk with a pastor, a good verse to start with, 1 John 5, 3. Telling the pastor, I was reading in my Bible, and it said, this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. So I want to keep His commandments, because I want to love Him. What's He going to say? Brian? Brian? Sure. Is that okay?
I don't mind at all. No problem. No problem. Go ahead.
I would, I would say this. I think there's some cases where people have hatred that could be caused by demonic possession. I think that there's some cases that it's just the flesh and nature. Yeah. So I think both. Yeah. Sure. Oh, yeah.
Okay? Doesn't mean that they're not walking in the Torah. There's certain laws that they're gray. They're gray areas, you know. So we do observe the food laws, and it's, I, I believe it's still in effect. Enoch calendar, so to speak. And I have friends that believe that 
uh, a man that I have a, a lot of respect for uh, is uh, Truett Cathy. Truett Cathy shuts down a huge franchise for 24 hours on Sunday. Do I think that's the Sabbath day? No, I don't. Uh, do I, am I going to be disrespectful toward him because he's walking in the light as he, can, as he saw it at, the, at that time of his life? I'm not going to disrespect him. I respect him as, a, as an old-timer, so, so to speak, for being diligent in what he believed. So here again, I, I believe what I believe, uh, but I am not going to condemn someone that's at another level or another stage in their walk. Because the Father can be dealing with them just like he dealt with me when I was at that stage. I used to be a Sunday worshiper. Not, I don't want to make it sound derogatory. I used to go to church on Sunday all growing up. Did I love the Lord? Sure. Yeah, I, I walked in that light as it was shown to me then. I think the problem comes in is when people bring us new light or we read the Bible and we're seeing things in the Bible and then we kind of turn our head from it and ignore it. I think that's where the problem comes in. I think as long as we're pursuing, uh, I think look, there's Sunday keepers that love the Lord, Saturday keepers that love the Lord, solar calendar keepers that love the Lord, and other calendar keepers that love the Lord. And, I, and the way that we do it, we believe, we keep it that way because we believe it's right. But I would be foolish to tell you that I think I have everything figured out in regards to the Sabbath because people email takes me questions all the time and I know how to answer everything. So maybe I hope that answers question. Um, I don't believe Sunday is the Sabbath, but I've got friends that go to church on Sunday and that's where they're at and um, I don't beat them over the head with my understanding. I just We talk cordially. If they ask me a question you know, do you believe Sunday is the Sabbath? I would tell them, no, I, I don't.
put some of that. Uh, I believe in every jot and tittle of the Torah. And when I say that, I mean that. So I, I believe in circumcision. I've circumcised my three sons on the eighth day. I'm circumcised. I'm not an eighth dayer. Like Paul said in Philippians 3, he was an eighth dayer, literally in the Greek. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with justification, but I think it was a covenant with Abraham. And yeah, I, 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 do, I do believe in that. Um, the other question, I, you know, in, in my study of church history, I have found throughout history in the last 2,000 years, I have found um, different people that observed Yahweh's law. Maybe not all to the same level or effect. Um, it's funny that Mike mentions Barnabas. I don't know if we're, we're talking about the same one, but in volume one of the Antinocene church fathers that I've got, I just started reading Barnabas, and I, I, had, a, I had a major problem with his exegetical skills on some Old Testament passages in Isaiah where he was kind of saying that Yahweh doesn't like sacrifices. And when I say sacrifices, I'm talking about animal sacrifices. Okay. Um, so I read Barnabas. My point is I read Barnabas and I see him veering away, but then I read First Clement, who supposedly was a contemporary of Peter and Paul, and I don't see him saying anything contrary to the Torah. In my second reading through now, I can't find anywhere where it contradicts it. Up, all the way up to the 4th century, you had a group. One of the church fathers mentioned this group. They called them the Nazarenes. And he said they're not Jews, but they're not Christians. In other words, they're not Christians like us, but they're not Jews like Judaism. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but yet they still practice circumcision in the Sabbath and keep the dietary laws. And I think when you, when you study history, maybe there's a bigger awakening now, but I think all through history there's been groups and individuals that have seen what we're, what we're kind of discussing now. So, Darrell, go ahead. The only dumb question is the one not asked. <laughs> no. No, you no, go ahead. Without 
My understanding is that the Old Covenant saints were indwelled with the Holy Spirit just like the New Covenant saints. I think what Jesus was saying is when he said, I must go so the Helper can come, I think he was talking about on a larger scale, in a bigger group, like on the day of Pentecost. It happened, boom, all at once, and then you got these 3,000 souls saved, and things were happening on a big scale. The reason I believe the Old Covenant saints had the Holy Spirit, I'll give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 51, we sang the song earlier. David's prayer of, of psalm of repentance after he had Uriah murdered on the front line. And part of his prayer, he created me a clean heart, O Elohim, renew a right spirit, cast me not away from my presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. So there's a there's a definitely a a struggle there that he don't he doesn't want the Creator to take his Holy Spirit from him, but in order to for it to be taken, it has to be with him. And then in, in the birth of uh, John the Baptist, John the Baptizer in Luke chapter one, both uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah, which were Torah keepers, Luke one six, they were righteous in the Torah. They both prophesied. The Spirit came upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and spoke through them, and they prophesied. So I think I think there were there were individuals all through the old covenant that had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I think what Jesus is saying over here is, look, there's going to be a quick work. There's going to be a big a big work. Like read Acts chapter two. I mean, it's like boom, and then Acts chapter four, another two thousand. You know, so that's kind of my understanding. Maybe that helps a little bit. So. Anybody else? You quiet, man. You tired? You glad you get the rest? You don't have to work tomorrow, right? <laughs> Go ahead, Amanda. Do you know the answer? <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead.
That exact statement is in Romans 6.14. Okay? Where uh, Paul says, uh, Sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Okay? Everybody knows Romans 6.14. Very few people know verse 15. <laughs> verse 15 says, Should we therefore continue in sin, because we're not under the law, but under grace? God forbid, man, never be. Certainly not. Depending on the translation you read. Under the law, in Romans 6, my understanding is that in Romans 6, it means under the penalty of the law. Okay? Yeah, yeah. I don't believe that under the law always means under the penalty of the law. Uh, Galatians 4 says Christ was born under the law. I don't think that means under the penalty. I think in that particular time period of history. So, you know, because of what Yeshua has done for us uh, in His perfect life, sacrificial death, substitute for us, Isaiah 53, and then the Father raised him from the dead on the third day to immortality victorious over death. Because of what Yeshua has done for us, life, death, resurrection, we are no longer under the penalty of the law. That doesn't mean that we should just go out and just live crazy and say, I'm saved by grace. You know, I, 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 I had one fellow, one fellow tell another guy one time, I won't say exactly what he said, but they got into an argument. And the guy believed in the once saved, always saved church, you know, doctrine. And he said, um, he said, I'll go outside, whoop you, and I'll still be saved. <laughs> so that kind of mindset right there is that kind of mindset's wrong. Okay? Now, do we are are we are we sinners? Yeah, we are. It's something we don't like to admit, but the Yeshua taught us to pray that prayer, give us this day our daily bread, and the next sentence is, and forgive us our sin. It's, it's a daily prayer. We always fall short of the perfection of the law. Now, I, I grew up in a, in a very legalistic denomination, uh, parasitical denomination, where it was all about the outward standards. As long as you're keeping the outward standards, everything's, everything's okay. Well... The older I, I got, the more knowledgeable I got, I, I began to see that Yahweh's law begins inside and that it's just not the outward things. Anybody can do the outward things. It's so easy for, for me to wear tassels. That's not hard at all. That's no big deal. You know, people think, well, that guy's righteous because he's got a set of tassels on. No. That's an easy, easy commandment. You know, I'm, I'm, I'll tell you a hard one. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. I try to do that one every day. And I've never done it, not one day. Never done it. I've always failed at that commandment. I try to do it. Sometimes I'm better than others. But I can't say that I've ever obeyed that commandment perfectly. I think what people do is they lessen the standard of the law. People talk about cheap grace. I like to preach about cheap law. They lessen the standard of the law. They preach cheap law, easy law. And then they, they, they obey that cheap law. And then they think, well, we're righteous. The law is way up here. It's Yeshua. You want to know what the law looks like? Look at Yeshua. Don't compare yourself with other people. Compare yourself with Yeshua and it will always keep you going towards the prize. And I don't think that will ever be there this side of glory. I think that when the kingdom comes and we're changed and that, that desire, that sin desire is totally removed from us, then I think we'll totally be like Yeshua then. Back for a, a, a 
Well, I agree he's coming back for a brow without spot or wrinkle. The question is, how are those spots and wrinkles removed? You know, I, I stand before you today a perfect man in the Torah, but only because of my substitute. So I'm blameless in the law because when I go to eat at, eat at Yahweh's table, Yeshua walks me in the door. And Yeshua looks at Yahweh and he says, this one's with me. And Yahweh says, he's in. If I try to walk in by myself, if I try to walk in by myself, even though, even though if, you, if you spent a week with me, you would, you would see a Torah keeper. Okay, you wouldn't see a lawless individual. You wouldn't see a, a, an individual that was sinless. You know, I get grouchy too, just like everybody else. But you would see a Torah keeper. But if I try to walk in and eat at Yahweh's table by myself without Yeshua, I can't do it. I can't do it. So the spots and the wrinkles are removed through the sacrifice of, of Yeshua. I can tell you, very educated man. Drive to have the what? Okay. I believe that there is a difference between sinners and saints. When Yeshua said that Yahweh makes the rain come on the righteous and the unrighteous, I think Yeshua is talking about people who walk in Torah and people who don't. Um, Simeon, when Simeon lifted up the little baby Yeshua, the Bible says he was a devout man. What does that mean? He was walking in the Torah. He was a, a man of faith, meaning faithfulness. Hebrews 11, the great hall of faith chapter. Though faith is not just something here in the mind. Faith is something that's worked out. James 2, faith without faith, being alone like the body without the spirit. So, there is definitely a difference. Or let's use Abel and Cain. There's a difference in Abel and Cain. Alright? Is Abel a a sinless man? No. He's not a sinless man. He needs the blood of Yeshua too. But Abel is a man that is a man full of faith. Meaning he strives to walk in obedience to the law of Yahweh. And that's looked upon in high regard. And it's one part I took out of my my lesson tonight. I was going to give some examples of of how people in the Bible that were law keepers were praised highly. Zechariah, Elizabeth, Simeon, when, when Yeshua saw Nathaniel, he said, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Simeon is called devout. Noah and Enoch are said to have walked with Elohim. And that means they, they, it's like they're, like really Elohim's with them. They're, they're walking with him in their, in their lifestyle. So there's a difference. When he comes, will he find faith? I think means, will he find people who are faithful? And I think the answer to that question is yes. Why are we faithful? Ezekiel 36, he pulled that heart of stone out of us and gave us a heart of flesh and caused us to walk in those commandments. So we don't take any of the glory for ourselves. We always say, thank you, Father, for changing my life. Thank you, Father. So hopefully that helps. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, Brian. Sure, sure. 
I don't think there's anybody, any any two people in here that agree on everything. Sure. justified. 
justified. He went home justified. That didn't mean that he was sinless. That's all I'm saying. So I, I think that we're um, at, at simultaneously both saints and sinners. I think that's different from just being a sinner. But I think that there's a, there's a simultaneous thing going on there. And um, if, I, if I'm honest with myself, I mean, Yahweh's law, you know, way, way up here. And I do, I do strive to obey, but I, but I fall short. So, you know, that's just that's my understanding. I could be wrong. Maybe I'll meditate. I know the verses you mentioned. I'll meditate on them. I definitely do believe I'm redeemed. And I don't believe that any man can float me out of his hand. So, yeah. You're real, you look like you got another one, right? Everybody good? All right. 